The following podcast contains explicit language. This is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with the Slate spoiler special on Paul Greengrass's new film, Captain Phillips. And joining me from Slate's D.C. office is Slate's political correspondent, Dave Weigel. Hey, Dave. Hey, Dana. Uh, thanks for coming in to talk to me about this. We've only done one spoiler before. It was World War Z, and it was one of my favorite ones I've done in a while. So I'm hoping you'll bring some some insight to Captain Phillips as well. Before we get started, I wanted to hear a quick just overall response. Did you like this movie? Would you send friends to it? I really did. I was surprised I liked it this much because I, I blow hot and cold when it comes to Paul Greengrass. I enjoyed You Died 93, although it's, it was painful to watch. And at the time, I remember the political context was kind of was kind of ominous because it was when George W. Bush was still president and he was trying to remind people that you should be scared of terrorism and vote for him. Uh, this has no political context. Maybe that was a little bit more helpful. And I, I found it really, th- really thrilling. I've been told to go watch a hijacking, which is also about an incident like this. That, that, is, that is less Hollywood. But this didn't feel terribly Hollywood, apart from the pulse-pounding music. I mean, this this was a classic Paul Greengrass, I have no idea how to hold my camera steady you know, thriller with a story I'd forgotten about. I mean, I mentioned United 93. I, we all remember what happened on 9-11. We never forget. I'd kind of forgotten the details of this story and didn't really bone up beforehand. So uh, I was pretty captivated. Yeah, this, the story, if people don't don't know already from the previews and all the hype this movie has gotten, is it's, it's retelling this real-life incident from 2009, I think it was, when a, a U.S. cargo ship was hijacked by Somali pirates. And in real life, the incident, as I recall, took several days, right? It was like five days that first the ship was held hostage and then the captain was taken to this lifeboat. And the, the movie telescopes it down to what seems to be about a day. Right. I mean, I actually, actually met the Captain Phillips at the D.C. premiere of this. And he, you know, I asked him afterwards how how close it was, and he just said it was a movie. <laughs> he was he wasn't trying to pretend it was that close to experience. Right. It's based uh, on a based know, on a five book he wrote. Days but... of waiting around, I think, would have been interesting. Uh, the movie just takes you by compressing it and making it all happen in what feels like, I mean, less than thirty six hours, because there is a kind of countdown once they get going about how little time they have before uh, Phillips gets to see. But I'm, I'm kind of skipping around the plot, and which is weird because it's not even that complicated of a plot. I mean, do you want to go through what people can expect? Yeah, it's very, very simple. I mean, in terms of what happens in the story, it's extremely simple. I would argue maybe almost too simple. I could have used a little bit more differentiation of, for example, some of the other characters, the crew members and some of the lesser hijackers. There's really only one hijacker that you get to know at all, the, the leader of the mm-hmm. group, um, whose name is, I think, Muzi? Muzi? Is that how they pronounce it? Uh, Muzi, yeah. Muzi. Which I, it's, it's spelled Muse when I've seen it, but uh, Muzi. Uh, who is, is very good. He's the kind of actor you wonder how, what else he could be cast in. Because he's, he's a, a, a Somali immigrant. I think he's from Minnesota, where a lot of Somalis en- ended up. Uh, who is you know, t- just terrifying looking when he wants to, when he's not trying. There, there's, I think, a pretty good trick done by Greengrass uh, to make, make him the most sympathetic character. Because I did like that he plays with our sympathies, This who we might naturally find to be the most likable of the pirates. Uh, in the trailer when this was coming out, I mean, he there's a moment that's also very effective in the movie when he's kind of patronizingly asserting his control over Captain Phillips. Uh, you know, he goes, relax, relax, look at me, I'm the captain now. And he's, you know, kind of bug-eyed, his teeth are a little, little bit crooked. Uh, the rest of the crew look a bit more, you know, ready for a Die Hard sequel than this guy. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea in that very early scene, the one scene that you actually see in Somalia at the very mm-hmm. beginning, the same thing happened in United 93, actually. There was a very brief setup of the yeah. hijackers at the beginning. And I think it's implied in that scene 
essentially that even among these really desperate hard scrabble guys who are fighting, you know, with these warlords for the right to to be on this hijacking team, that he's one of the most desperate of all, right? He's the one who gets nicknamed Skinny, mm-hmm. even though they're all unbelievably skinny, and he seems to be the one who, you know, maybe is the most unlikely of the of the hijackers. Yeah, he is, and uh, I I thought that was a little bit obvious. But l- l- let's start at the beginning of the movie, which seems natural. Wait, I just want to throw uh, in one thing just for the oh, sake sure. of that actor, just that his name is Barkhad Abdi. And uh, and confusingly, <laughs> another hijacker, the young hijacker who cuts his foot later, remember, yes. is played by a, a person with almost exactly the same name, Barkhad Abdi Rahman. If you add Rahman, he has the exact same name. So maybe that's like the Joe Smith of, you know, of Somalis. Oh, I hope they don't accidentally nominate the wrong guy for the Oscar. Uh, <laughs> The well to start in the beginning of the movie, I thought it, it was a little bit pat, but you know effective. Uh, so it begins with Captain Phillips literally, I think, closing his laptop and getting ready to go to, uh, to on on this mission around the Cape of Cape of, Cape of uh, Horn of Africa. Sorry, I almost said the Cape of Good Hope, and that would have been embarrassing. Luckily, I said it anyway. Uh, so he, he's he's setting up his wife, played by Catherine Keener, and I and him have this really kind of NPR-ish discussion in the car about how, uh, boy, things are really changing these days. It's so much harder to get along. It's going to be tough for our, our kids in this world that's changing so much. And then we cut to Somalia, where they're not actually having that discussion, but clearly things are much worse than they are in, uh, in Vermont. Yeah, did, 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 you, did you think that that discussion in the car, I mean, I have a few problems with this, with the family set up in this movie that we can get to. I mean, part of, part of it is just why are they putting Catherine Keener in the movie when she's literally in it for about 90 seconds? You know, I spent the rest yeah. of the movie thinking, when are we cutting back to the people? at home and we never do. But also, yeah, this conversation they have in the car seemed to me one of the moments when Greengrass really is setting things up in a little too parallel of a fashion. You, you say this movie doesn't have political content and overtly, I guess it doesn't, but it does seem to be making some sort of point about, you know, globalization and and the world economy and desperation. And that's, I think, all being set up in a way by this conversation in the car about, you know, our kids aren't going to have the security that we had. Mm-hmm. And in Somalia... They don't have the security at all. They are at the mercy of pirate overlords who are forcing them to make as much money as possible or be probably shot. Uh, so it, it is very sympathetic, and I can see if this movie becomes popular, a backlash forming over how sympathetic it makes the hijackers. There is Muse, there is the young kid who cuts his foot, there's another guy who's kind of a, has less personality, and there's a crazy person. And you do get the impression, you're left with the impression that the crazy person in 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 the in the hijacking crew who is always argue, arguing that they're that Muse is too soft and arguing it's time to kill the hostage uh that boy if they had, they just hadn't if everyone had been a bit more level headed this would couldn't have gone that way which seems a little bit a little bit too a little bit too easy uh i it, it is it is didactic i mean i just i don't i didn't mind as if you were being told to get inside the head of somali pirates though because they are among the least understood people uh, on the planet. I mean, you hear pirate, and you have to think a little bit harder to imagine the Somali pirates, and then what do you know about Somalia beyond beyond a couple of cliches? So I, I, didn't, I didn't mind it, but that is what the impression you're supposed to be left with the movie is not. It's, I think, you know, it's a... Uh, was this also a complaint people had about United 93? You, you're a little bit too much inside the heads of the terrorists. You know, you see them cast a look, uh, a look at, the, at each other as they know the plane's going to go down, and they failed. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea that it wasn't um, that it was at least neutral, you know, even that it was neutral and that the terrorists were, were regarded as, as human beings and not not shown as sort of just a, a faceless menace. I think maybe especially because that was so close to 9-11. It was only 2005 when that movie came out. Mm-hmm. I think that was a problem for people. But I can actually also see the left taking the opposite tack on this movie and saying, you know, the Somali pirates are presented as this sort of like, you know, dark menace from the continent and that they're too undifferentiated. And I think the the differentiation might work a little bit better if Paul Greengrass would just slow down and keep his camera still once in a while. I guess I haven't mentioned yet my overall feeling about him. And I, I sort of find that although he can be a very effective filmmaker, the Bourne movies are great. United 93, I have my objections to its sort of existence and placement. And mm-hmm. I don't know, I, I did not love United 93, but it's very effective. It certainly makes your palms sweat and makes you feel like you were on Flight 93. And he is really great at that immediacy and that kind of faux documentary filmmaking. But it's kind of exhausting. I mean, there's moments where he just, he takes it too far. And that happened in this movie for me too, because even a documentary cameraman tries to keep his camera still, right? I mean, it's only in the middle of, of combat or some kind of action that there's this jiggly effect. And there's moments in this movie where you're looking at just a dial on the ship's dashboard and the camera is still wildly jerking around. I think the only moments that there was sort of enough peace that you could you could orient yourself in space and not be behind the jiggliest camera possible were some of those aerial shots, you know, when you're seeing later on when the Navy SEALs come in and there's a big Navy ship and you're tracing that and the lifeboat and various craft. Just because they're aerial shots, there has to be some sort of stillness. And to me, that was just a moment of respite from this constant, uh, you know, crazy camera work. And it, I'm not complaining that it makes me nauseous or dizzy or something. I just don't think it always tells the story as effectively. It's not necessarily suitable for every single scene. But you're, you're bringing up something interesting. That I guess I get to it by explaining exactly what happens, because I feel like the reason this might be even sort of spoilable is it did happen four years ago, and most people have forgotten the details. We've had, since then, the much more well-known and dramatic killing of some bin Laden. So uh, what happens is Captain Phillips is uh, rounds the, the Horn of Africa. Uh, pirates attack. They evade them once, and I thought that scene was, this was quite effective. I'd forgotten that they got to invade them once. They evaded them once with a couple of tricks and the usual ship security measures. Uh, the pirates come back. They board them that time, and Captain Phillips is able to, with the help of the crew, who are all portrayed as a little bit cowardly but very clever, uh, injured the pirates so much they just retreat, but they take him as a hostage. So the the last act of the movie is all alternating between Captain Phillips in a very rinky-dink-looking, well, actually sturdy but silly-looking lifeboat, this orange dinghy kind of hanging out. Uh, it looks like it's made out of the fiberglass of the re- uh, that a bottle recycling canister is made out of. And it's, and it's enclosed, we should mention. A lifeboat you think of yeah. as being some sort of raft open to the sea, but this is almost like a child's boat with a top on it, which really adds to the claustrophobia of that second half of the movie when he's mm-hmm. Tom Hanks is trapped in the boat with the four pirates. So there's this quiet and claustrophobia, and, and a pretty good sen- it's a good sense of space, although he doesn't quite show you... There's nothing he quite shows you the entirety of. He even on the boat, you're, you're kind of there's one sh- a diagram of where things are in the boat. But even in the in the little lifeboat, which is very small, you are aware as as he, I guess as Captain Phillips aware is aware of the the design. So there's a point when he goes to get water, and there there's a point when he is telling his possible rescuers what seat he's in in case they need, which is. He's very well drilled. I mean, he comes off—he comes off much better than any normal human would come off in this situation. He says that he's in seat 15. So, uh, hint, hint—they should, if they need to invade the ship, they should go to seat seat 15, uh, or they should avoid seat 15. But uh, what I was trying to get to was that the everything's shaky except for these very 
badass heavy shots of the Navy SEALs coming to save him, which are, I think, the most stable things in the in the film. It's a, there is a the the people rescuing Phillips put up this call. The Navy SEALs first they come from Virginia, so they 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 cover the entire ocean, and there are these very kind of loving shots of the the SEALs getting on the plane and then the boarding the plane. Jumping uh, out of the plane? Yeah, well, getting onto the cruisers, then jumping out of the plane to another cruiser, then suiting up again, then staging for their sniper action. And it was the only... Uh, I, I, I almost wonder... I was wondering if it was... Was he trying, he, was he trying to be more f- fair after giving us so much about the details of the pirates? I, I didn't know, because I, we don't learn as much about how the pirates operate as we do about the, about the Navy SEALs, and we also, we just see them, they're almost, you know, shots that remind me of the right stuff, of these amazing buff guys with their guns walking, walking not in slow motion, but walking in formation, ready to finally rescue Captain Phillips. They're the only people in here who are presented as, in a state of complete calm. Yeah, you're right, and the camera is in a state of calm when it regards them most of the time as well, which is maybe a gesture of kind of veneration of the military on Greenwith's part, or maybe just a, the simple fact that he was filming something so so big that he had to keep his camera stationary, right? I mean, when he's trying to get some big panorama, you don't just want to see, you know, half of one of the Navy SEAL's cheeks. You want to actually see what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I actually have a, have a question about that as a reporter. Are Navy, Navy SEALs really that big? They just seemed so buff. They they didn't seem like they'd be able to sort of run fast or get in and out of small spaces. Like, were the guys that got Osama bin Laden just worked out like that? I, I mean, they can run pretty fast if they're if they're if they're taught. There there are a couple of guys who are a bit bulkier who maybe couldn't, but no, they all seem to be in great shape. It's just they they're in contrast to the kind of uh, you know average to flabby members of the of of the crew. And you know, Tom Hanks is in normal Tom Hanks shape, looks like a normal guy. And the very skinny pirates, there are these guys who are completely alpha mailed up, who are able to save him. And we also, I, I think, why it struck me is, but I don't think we really get to meet any of them except for one guy who participates in a ruse to slow down the ship so that they can come and shoot them, so they can come and shoot the pirates. We we meet, we do meet one of the Navy SEALs as a very successful and thoughtful operator. The other guys are just kind of ciphers uh, in a way that the crew members aren't. We, we get to know a lot about the crew members and quite a lot about the pirates. Yeah, see, I, I, could have, I could have gotten to know a little more about both. I think, again, this is part, partly a casualty of just the speed with which Greengrass's camera moves and with which his story moves. United 93 had a little bit the same problem for me. I mean, for all that it was pulse-pounding in terms of, oh, shit, I know this plane is going to go down and it's going to be horrible, you had no idea who anyone was on the flight. And I know that was kind of deliberate. But to me, it's, 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 it makes it alternate in between, you know, this is sickeningly suspenseful and this is kind of boring. And that happened a little bit in Captain Phillips as well, especially after he ended up in the lifeboat. I mean, obviously, there's a very basic, you know, please don't shoot Tom Hanks, right? Nobody wants Tom Hanks to die. But knowing that Tom Hanks is not going to get shot because he went on to write a book about it, which became this movie, there were some some moments that it just sort of seemed to me like it's just jiggly cam inside a boat, you know, for mm-hmm. a solid hour. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I feel... I feel... I kind of forgot how he got out of it. I mean, I don't know if he was injured in some way. Uh, there are elements of it that are clearly not going the way he expected. So there, there is suspense in that scene, but I felt like the, the moments when they're confronting the pirates uh, are just... I like them because, f- frankly, I don't know that much about how fighting pirates works in the year 2013, or in this case, the year 2009. And it's interesting to see how this gigantic ship uses its defenses, the the hoses that make it impossible to get close enough to board, the 
the trick. He he has a, a really fun trick of uh, faking a call to one of the maritime police organizations that's currently on, like giving a busy signal. Where he, you know, he holds his phone up to the, the receiver and says, oh, "We're receiving you." That you know that that was kind of fun. Uh, the part that was supposed to be incredibly suspenseful, I felt, was a little bit duller. What you mean the the, the lifeboat? The lifeboat stuff part. The was, end. I kind of knew how that was going to end. I didn't know how he was going to get onto the lifeboat as much as that. That does become incredibly tense at the very end, though. Mm-hmm. I will say that there's a little bit of slack time in that lifeboat. Again, to me, partly just because I was not really aware of the geography of the lifeboat or who was who or what was going on where. But at the end, when the when the snipers finally do get a clear shot on the three the, like, three pirates, do they kill? Yeah, because at that point, one of the pirates, Musi, the main Mu- guy, yeah, is... Muse is uh, the, the most rational one they pull on to the boat as part of the ruse to... Uh, say that they're going to. It makes very little sense. Uh, the one thing I think he does get very convey, he does convey is that at this point the pirates are kind of scrambling and don't know what they want. They almost, they almost remind me of uh, of the House Republicans <laughs> that I'm covering right now. All right, we've got a hostage. Uh, <laughs> we have no idea what to do with them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe well, give us something. That's what we want. Um, but Except yeah, yeah, the hostages. They, they pull them onto the boat as, in, a, in this ruse that they will give them some kind of ransom or something and let them reunite with their elders, their tribal elders. And instead, he gets to go to prison um, and everyone else gets shot. Right. The elders thing seemed like such a transparent ruse. It seems like they would at least name, right? At this point, they had figured out who these guys were and what village they were from. And they could have said, we're getting so-and-so and so-and-so. The fact that the word elders kept being thrown yeah. around in this vague way seemed like it would have been a tip-off. No, they spook them by knowing exactly who they are. They, they, can, they can name all of the people on the, on the lifeboat, and they all get scared. This, I think, was pretty effective, too. I'm saying I, I was less, less into the suspense than I was into how they told the story of this weird area of the world that is completely lawless, but when the hand of the government needs to crush, needs to crush people, it can. Uh, you, I liked how, they, how spooked they are when it's clear the American intelligence has learned their identity so quickly. And I did like the shots when it pulls out and you see uh, the lifeboat surrounded by three gigantic, uh, three gigantic American uh, uh, you know, cruisers and carriers. Um, you you kind of get this reminder of how completely helpless the Somalians were. I think that was Greengrass's point. I'm not sure what stance he's taking on whether we should sympathize with them. Um, yeah, but well, I did talk to Captain Phillips uh, at this premiere. I mean, I, that was what I was curious about. Did he mind watching these Somalians be, be portrayed so uh, so sympathetically? And he and he was he kind of dodged it. He said, "Well, there wasn't actually that much dialogue between us and then. They yelled at me a lot, and I stayed pretty quiet." Um, right. But I, th- I think he dodged the question to, to be polite. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm really curious that you find it so sympathetic. I, I think I would have to watch it again with an eye to, you know, let me see if they're being portrayed sympathetically or not, because so much of my cognitive space was just devoted to trying to figure out what was happening and, you know, kind of dealing with the, the suspense part of it. I mean, I, I would say, yeah, that there's a sense of... of understanding their motivations, especially in that early scene when they're scrambling for the spot. And, and later on when um, when Tom Hanks says to one of them in the lifeboat, you know, are there any other options besides being a fisherman or a, a pirate? And then mm-hmm. the guy says, maybe in America there are. Yeah. Right? That was a little on the nose, but I got it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, all those moments in this movie were, were pretty on the nose. But that's the thing. If it's going to happen in the midst of chaos, right? It's sort of like chaos, chaos, chaos. And then, you know, some on the nose pinpoint bit of dialogue that tells you exactly what's going on. And that seems a little bit like the green grass structure that, that I don't always love. But, I mean, when they when the three guys on the boat get sniped at the end and they all, you know, 
just basically explode over Tom Hanks. I mean, there is a little bit of a Osama bin Laden feeling of like, yeah, we got him. I mean, don't you think that you feel that and the movie wants you to feel that? I, less so than with with bin Laden. I mean, even the, even though you're screaming women and children in um, in Zero Dark Thirty that are supposed to make you feel nervous, uh, these pirates. You know, we know that Bin Laden was pretty wealthy and didn't need to need need to lead this life of terror. You're left the impression that these pirates, had they been born even in you know Kenya or something, not not that far away, might have had a different lifestyle. Uh, so when they're shot, you are I mean I, you feel kind of cold. And there's a nice I, I think if 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 this gets discussed for acting awards, it'll probably be because of the last five minutes after after. Captain Phillips survives, he is just in shock and babbling, and I don't know if he gets an entire sentence out. And, uh, he's shot, he's saved, he looks around, he's splattered with blood, he has no idea what's happening. He's actually blindfolded, right, at first. Well, it's, that's really effective. First. So, it, it, so he doesn't is, know uh, whose blood is on him or who's dead or what. It's just suddenly silent. Mm-hmm. He's, he's blindfolded. The uh, Navy SEAL snipers that have been built up so far are despite a, a, a very kind of video gamey sequence where they are uh, trying to line up three shots at once with green and red uh, on the screen. You know, we've got two green, we need three. They completely succeed. All the, all the terrorists are dead, including the young boy who had cut his feet, who seemed pretty blameless in the whole thing. And um, Captain Phillips is, you know, at that point, had been blindfolded and maybe was going to be killed if, they, if the seal didn't act. And he's just, he's just confused and devastated and scared. Um, there's not, you know, in, in a in a fictionalized, cruddy Michael Bay version of something like this, when he confronted the uh, Muse, who is on the boat, maybe he was, they probably would give him a chance to confront him and you know uppercut him or something. Right, <laughs> but, or, right, right, or he'd be or he'd be like kissing the heroine on the deck in the last scene or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, I have to say that was one of the most powerful things in this movie. I think the ending was incredibly well done, mm-hmm. both by Tom Hanks and just the, the way Greengrass filmed it, and just just that idea of, of ending on that beat, right? Ending an action thriller on that on a beat of a person in shock who's you know kind of completely incoherent and weeping. Yes, I thought that was. We have not seen many movies that end like that because he he has been remarkably resilient. And that's that's the point. I think he's remarkably resilient. He uh, makes a bunch of decisions in the, in the heat of the moment that save his crew. He never seems to make a mistake, really. Uh, as as he's plotting this, I mean, the they are only boarded because one of the hoses that's supposed to block the pirates from coming up is not working. Uh, if if it had, you get the impression, had that been working, it might have gone differently. Right. Yeah. No. He's shown having a huge amount of foresight about it too. Right. Yeah. As as they're about to pull out of of their initial port, he's saying like, "This is a pirate-ridden area, and you know we have to lock down the entire ship." And they make it very clear that he takes every precaution he could. Yeah. And, and so the very end, when he breaks down, uh, it's 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 good. I mean, it's it's predictable in its way, but it's you know infinitely preferable to the ending of most movies where there's a Aerosmith song on the soundtrack and people are making out and the villain has fallen <laughs> to his death or something. It's it's very grim. You uh, leave the experience uh, kind of getting this. I mean, I kind of left it with a, this idea of how much American power can crush a a threat if it if it's in the right place, and of the pathetic nature of the pirates and of how you know Phillips' story is inspiring, but he's not. You know, it's like he's John. He's he's kind of like John McClane, except 
John McClane breaks down in tears at the end because it was such a harrowing experience. Yeah, I just I thought that was really great. I mean, mm-hmm. to me, that was very unpredictable, at least as a kind of you know emotional affect to end on that, to, that a hero doesn't have to be you know the guy who's kissing Kelly McGillis on the the deck at the end. You know that it, it can be the guy who's experiencing actual trauma. That's what left me leaving the movie in a mood to recommend it. I just feel like I haven't seen that very often, and. Even in a real-life story like this, I mean, it's, it's, it, is it a little bit too much like Zero Dark Thirty, though, where at the moment of triumph, uh, our agent looks at the body of Osama bin Laden, then goes into a hangar and, and collapses into tears? It's a bit like that, I guess, except that was 10 years of pain and memories coming back to haunt her, whereas this is just pure shock. And I think I like the... You never see somebody survive the situation and collapse. I mean, our, our frame of reference is James Bond defusing the bomb and then getting to, you know, ship somebody in a life raft, right? It's, it's not, thank God I survived. I can't believe all this blood is on me. I'm going to weep in the arms of a doctor right now. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an interesting connection to Zero Dark Thirty. And you're right, maybe that'll be the new cliche, like the <laughs> weeping tough guy or girl at the end of the movie. But but it's it's very different in terms of, you know, the direct physical trauma that he's just experienced, right? I mean, he, it'd be like one of the seals at the end of, of Zero Dark Thirty suddenly breaking down and and weeping. I mean, I will say that during that last hour when we're trapped in the lifeboat, like I said, there were some moments when I started to feel a little bit too much like Tom Hanks, like, get me out of here, get me out of this movie, right? But mm-hmm. but I was crying along with him at the end. I thought that was really, really effective, although I sort of wish the doctor had hugged him. <laughs> he so clearly needed a hug. No, the uh, there there is a great... Uh, and I think it's be, probably maybe hopefully because Greengrass is a journalist. I love it if journalists are just really good at this kind of thing and giving us a... making the profession look good. But he... Uh, he just had, portrays everyone in the military as completely knowing their roles and being professional, and the doctor's being very professional, has a script and she, that she's working to. And there's no one, no one ever offers a perfect one-liner, which is kind of nice. I like, I like that part of the movie. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, there's not really many quotable quotes in this movie. It's really not about that. And as you and I have mentioned, like the few bits of memorable dialogue that there are are usually a little bit obvious and, you know, they're not necessarily memorable in a good way. It's, the it's the, the only one I found memorable was from the trailer, and it's uh, Tom Hanks in his affected Vermont accent going, they're not here to fish. <laughs> what did you think of his accent and his performance in general? Would you like to see him get an Oscar for this or, or get at least nominated? I, I wouldn't be offended if he was nominated. The uh, I, I'm just leading as much as I can on the fact that I went to this DC event with uh, the real Rich Phillips, who was you know, really, really game. I mean, it's nice to meet these people who are famous for something they actually achieved, <laughs> and he, he was aware of that. And as he talks, uh, he as he talked and as he just stood there, I was impressed. I mean, Tom Hanks really did a good job. Apparently, they they kind of hung out for a little while for Hanks to get the patois, patois right. It is a um, you know, New England, Vermont accent with Irish inflections that you never really hear. It sounds it sounds odd. I think Hanks mostly gets it. At the end when he's breaking down, he's not quite doing it. Uh, but for when he's any kind of dialogue, he's got this good flat, uh, flat voice, almost a monotone, and that is how the guy sounded. It was, it was, it was, it was solid. But I was much more impressed by the acting of this of the Somalians, of, of the the. Guys who, I mean, it's it's even striking when you go to the credits. Either the credits start rolling, and it's Tom Hanks, hard to pronounce Somalian name, hard to pronounce Somalian right. name, hard to pronounce Somalian name. And I thought they were, that was all good, and I'm better than a lot of movies I've seen. Uh, you know, I can see conservatives getting very angry about this, or people feeling like it's not American exceptionalist enough. Uh, but I really 
did. I thought those guys were, were extraordinary. I hope there's they get hope they get some more roles that are not just them playing the worst people in Somalia. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That would that would be a bummer to be a Somali-born American actor and feel like all I get to do is you know hold knives to people's throats and scream on screen. No, I I, I generally think you. This is a good way to do the real event film. I mean, Greengrass has a couple of things that already seem like cliches that from from the movies we've seen so far. I think they worked pretty well here. I would I would I would enjoy seeing him adopt a few more stories that took place over three days with a ton of action. When he when he expands to something like Green Zone, I don't think it's very effective. When he's trying to when he he does tend to didact to be didactic, and you can only be so didactic if it's a thirty six hour period. So. Yeah, more of that. This is this this is this is pretty good at conveying a problem in the world, hammering you over the head very gently, but uh, but not being not leaving like you've been lectured to. Yeah, I agree. I think along with Bloody Sunday and the first two Born movies, these, these, this is my favorite Paul Greengrass movie. Green Zone was a moment that I really started to give up on him, and I do think so many people have imitated that style now. He can do it better than anyone else, but still, it really has become a visual cliche. And I, I think he needs to start learning to do something with the camera that involves composition. <laughs> Or once in a while, or or beauty, or something besides like I'm just going to stick this in the most unflattering angle possible and shake it around. Yeah. All right. Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining me, and please come spoil another movie very soon. Oh, thanks for having me. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.